It's interesting to be in a different church and almost every 10 yards or so, I wonder if I'm doing the wrong thing. Sitting there watching Josh, really appreciating his song, which I was blessed to sing a couple of times this weekend. Didn't enjoyed singing it, didn't quite realize how apropos some of it was. And then I started walking up and I was like, I wonder if they stay up here. Is that ever, are there churches where the music did? So I was a little nervous because I don't know. I brought my water up with me. It's in a Starbucks cup, but it's just water. Um, I drank a lot of coffee already. And I was like, I wonder if they do that. I wonder if they take drinks up. It's already up here and no one stopped me. As uh, Robert said, I got it right this time. We experimented with calling Robert different things on the retreat. You can ask him about that if you like, or perhaps his son. I was sitting up there and I was wondering um, what it would have been like for uh, Trisha and I, Greg's wife, if we had tried to explain to one another this scenario when we met. She was um, kind of ran the Francis Schaeffer Institute at Covenant Seminary, and um, so she had to guard all of everyone's favorite professors. She was very good about that, and I was like, how could we explain to me that a PCA church would want me to come speak there in Chattanooga, and she's going to be there, and she's going to have three kids with this guy, and like, I just wondered what that'd be like, so you can chew on that and let me know. Um, But it is wonderful to be here with you. It was wonderful this weekend to uh, sing and pray and open the word with your men, discuss um, following Jesus as a man. Played poker with them the first night, and I was struck by the kind competitiveness. They wanted to win, but they were kind. Enjoyed playing Ultimate Frisbee the next day. Same thing. They wanted to win, but it was kind. It says a lot about a church. If you can play competitive sports and card games, with you still want to win, but with kindness. It says a lot about you and your church and your people. This morning, um, we're going to spend some time looking at John chapter 10, which if you're a follower of Jesus, um, is probably a familiar section of scripture to you. Oftentimes when we memorize scripture, uh, there are some verses in here that are important. And where I got the title for the sermon, The Shepherd's Voice, is a a number of times in this text that we'll read in just a minute. Um, You're welcome to read it now, depending on how compelling you find my introduction. There there are references to the sheep. We'll deal with that in a minute. We're called sheep. Um, Hearing the voice of the shepherd, which is the father's voice also. And I don't know about you, but isn't the world busy? Isn't it noisy? Voices that we hear literally... Voices that sometimes just come to us. Voices in our own head. We see thousands, literally, of commercials a day thanks to the glorious internet, which is so helpful, but also creates busyness and noise. And amidst that, as human beings, there's the voice of the Father, revealed in his text, also in nature, but more clearly in his text, that is light and life to us. And so once a week, in God's providence, for our rest, for our good, for corporate worship, we come together and we look at his word, longing for the peace that he promised, the real life, 
But we'll see in John chapter 10 here that he promised and purchased for us with his work. So I think in your pew Bible, it's page 894. We just got pew Bibles at my church, so I'm still learning to say that. John chapter 10, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to stop reading periodically and, and, and say some things, and I'll pick back up. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they did not know the voice of strangers. Pause for just a second. Um, I don't know how familiar you all are with the Bible, but John is one of the two Gospels that's an eyewitness account. Um, some of you might be considering the Gospel of Jesus, and one of the th the things to be aware of as you're considering the good news is that two of the writers um, wrote firsthand. One sat under, under the teaching of Peter, historically. And the other interviewed people all over the Mediterranean. I say that slowly because once in a church service I said the Caribbean, and I was unaware of it. <laughs> and they were like, Paul toured the Caribbean? I did not know that. So I, I now always say Mediterranean slowly. But John was an eyewitness, and... Uh, claims to have seen all this firsthand. And you're about to get a wonderful little eyewitness anecdote. And if you're considering the gospel of Jesus, that's something to contend with as an honest reader, is his eyewitness details. For those of you that are following Jesus, verse 6 is so encouraging, because how many of you have ever been confused by the Bible and thought, I'm not quite sure what Jesus or Paul or Peter or whoever meant? I have been. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Isn't that great? I love this stuff. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, so they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And this is where the text reminds us of how used to the gospel we are. Because notice how the Jews react in verses 19 and 20. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? I would offer that that's because they understood 
that he was claiming divinity. Sometimes we get used to the text and like, where did verse 20 come from? Well, they understood the wild claim that Jesus was the incarnate Son of God, came to offer them life, full life today and eternal life with him. So the first point that you find in your bulletin is that learning his voice is essential. Not only because we live in a busy and a noisy world, because, but because he claimed to be the door to real life and the good shepherd. And in every season of our life, it's a lot of what we talked about at the men's retreat this weekend, the seasons that men go through. Some of us are more resistant to this or that season. We, we, we prayerfully engaged that this weekend. Um, it's true for women also, certainly. That we go through seasons of life with less and more responsibility and influence people under our direct care or our indirect care. In all of those seasons, we need to know how the Good Shepherd speaks to us about himself and about us. His words do not change, but we do. We grow up, right? And if God exists... And he has made himself known through Jesus Christ and in Scripture. Then what he says about himself and what he says about you and I is actually more true than what we feel about ourselves or about him. And so we long to come under the voice of the shepherd and learn, how does he see us? And we long to believe that and believe it deeply, which is why pastors want you to read the Bible, which is why if you've been in church ever, You've probably heard, read the Bible. Because amidst all the noise and chaos and disorientation around us, we have this text that explains God to us and us to us. So what does the shepherd tell us from chapter 10? There's danger. Wolves, there's a thief. There's danger. You're aware of that, right? I mean, we all are dressed in our Sunday clothes, and this is a beautiful sanctuary. Sun coming in. I love seeing green. I live in Connecticut. There's no green right now. Spring is like another month away. It's wonderful to be in. It snowed last night in Connecticut. Um, It's nice to be here, even though I'll be there tonight. There's danger in the world. Wolves. I believe the wolves that he's referencing at the beginning of John chapter 10 are those who came and and said they were the Messiah and brought men with them and then died because they weren't and they were trying to do a military uprising. But then he says this this eerie thing in in, uh, verse 10 that many of you perhaps memorized. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you would have life and have it to the full. I want to offer that um, when I grew up and I at some point memorized this, I thought that the thief was uh, Satan, God's um, adversary. Not opponent. He's not God. He doesn't have power like God. But he does function in an adversarial way. But as I studied the text, I think it's actually even bigger than that. Because when, God want, when Jesus wanted to talk about Satan, he did. Very directly. Sometimes speaking to him, sometimes about him. In this case, I think he's actually creating an umbrella term that includes Satan... But for our purposes, the thief is any a voice, whether it comes from inside your own head, comes from your previous mentoring, comes from the culture, any voice 
that attempts to convince you that God's heart towards you is not good. That's the danger that faces us. I don't know where those voices come from with you. Sometimes the trickiest ones are the religious voices, right? The ones about should and must. And I'm not saying every time you think, maybe I should do that, it's bad. But is it like this for you? Where you're, you're having a good thought about perhaps reaching out to someone? I have six brothers and sisters from various marriages and stories. I long to be in good relationship with them. And so I think... I should call my sister today. But sometimes the thought comes in like, you should call your sister or you're a bad brother. Does that sound like the voice of the father? And it's subtle, right? Because it's a good thing for me to call my sister and tell her I love her, right? Or to text her or whatever. That's a good idea, right? But when the voice comes in with a should and maybe a hint of religion in it, like God might not be pleased with me unless I call my sister. That is a pernicious evil the danger even more so than God's adversary who is already vanquished but still present. The greater danger is any voice that would attempt to convince you subtly or directly that God's heart towards you is not good. That's the danger. What it, I don't know what it sounds like in your head. I'm not enough. That ever go through anybody's head? It's just me, right? None of you. You're all mature in Christ. You know the voice of the Father. You've blocked out those voices. Sometimes I think I'm not enough for my kids, for my wife, for my church, for my family. That's not even the right question, but that voice comes in at attempting to subtly convince me that God's heart towards me is not good, that he is indeed not the door and the good shepherd. Maybe it's the opposite. I'm too much. And again, I, I know that you're all very spiritually mature. You don't struggle with that. But sometimes this voice comes into my head. You're too much. You have too many words. People don't know how to handle you. Your kids, you need to tone it down with them. And maybe I do. But there's a tone to the voice that would imply to me that that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that's the Father's voice to me. And it's subtle. And that makes it more dangerous, I think. Convince, attempting to convince me that God's heart towards me is not good. So the sheep return to the good shepherd and listen to his voice. Because his desire is that we flourish. We've been ordained for uh, seven years, I think. We forgot one element of my ordination in the ordination service, so I think technically it's like six and a half years. We had to finish it in someone's backyard one night. True story. Put the wrong guy in charge of my ordination service. I had to memorize the I am statements of Jesus. I'm the bread of life. I'm the door, the good shepherd. It took me a while to realize that two of them came right in a row in John chapter 10. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We don't always know how to count biblically, so we just call that one, even though he said three. I am the vine, John chapter 15. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life, he states, uh, before he raises Lazarus from the dead. And I memorized them because... They're so important. This is Jesus claiming divinity. He begins each statement with ego eimi, which is a Greek term. You're like, ego, what do you say? It's Greek, uh, where he's claiming divinity, and then he's explaining who he is. When I memorized them, because they're so important, 
I missed that every one of the I am statements of Jesus, all seven of them, includes you and I flourishing in this life and the next. Did you catch that in I am the door and I am the good shepherd? Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And if you're at all familiar with Christianity, that part is, yes, yes, that's such good news. I'm so glad that I'm saved. It's not the end of the verse, though. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. I commend to your own time of study, look up the I am's. And notice that they're not just about the sweetness of eternal life with Jesus. They're also about flourishing in this life. Learning to reject the voice of the enemy. Learning to accept the voice of the Father. Who loves us. You've heard that before. You sang it this morning. We listen to that voice and we soak it in. We attempt to believe it deeply that we're loved. Last night at the men's retreat, we looked at a scripture in Galatians 4. We get to call God Daddy. And he calls us sons and daughters and heirs of the kingdom. So we're not just saved, we're drawn into a great story of kingdom life, of flourishing. I'll just put out the entire rest of my Greek credentials for you. After the ego me, the word life here is not bios, like biology. It's zoe, abundant life. Life where we're given the new heart of the new covenant and healed internally. Where we are capable of forgiving those who hurt us. Where we're capable of sacrificial love knowing that that is the best way. To love neighbor. Where we're freed to love God because of what Christ did for us. That's our flourishing. That's the Father's voice to us, calling us heirs. Calling us into a priesthood. Calling us into self-sacrificial love with one another. So according to John chapter 10, I think learning the voice of the Good Shepherd is essential to avoid danger because there is danger in the world and the greatest danger is listening and believing any voice that would convince us that the Father's heart towards us is not good. Learning his voice is essential to avoid danger and to flourish and to enjoy him forever. Good news is that God has always loved you. And I think the clearest explanation for that is because he is God and you are you. But there's the gap. There's a problem, both in our being and in the world. The world is bent, and we are born into that bentness. And so we need the work and the teaching and the sacrifice and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to achieve union back with God. But then we respond in joy. It doesn't end there. We're called into life in the kingdom. Enjoying him. Learning to love others in the freedom he purchased for us and forgiving.
And I don't, I don't know if a ton of that information is uh, new to you or not. I know many of you have probably been attending church longer than I've been alive, and here's my hope in saying that. I hope this encourages you. You know the voice of the Father. It's good to be encouraged and reminded that it is good. But I also know that in 2016, in Chattanooga and in Connecticut, it's not that hard uh, to come to church. And sometimes our belief, I'm nervous that our belief is in a good shepherd. Not the good shepherd. And I know that that the, that's a little off-putting to us in 2016. Jesus really, does he know like that exclusivity kind of puts some people off? Like why did he say the the so many times? The good shepherd twice and the door. You know why? Because I think tolerance is actually an okay idea. I think it's better than intolerance culturally. But it is not good enough, is it? Is it good enough to heal the disorientation in your own life? Is it good enough to teach you how to relate to the others that have sinned against you? Do we think it's good enough to eventually put the world back together and make it right? And I'm not trying to trash the word, even though it is... uh, almost an entire worldview in our culture. But I am trying to say that Jesus taught with exclusivity on purpose, and it would have been offensive in the first century too, more so perhaps to a Jewish listener, not perhaps, more so to a Jewish listener than to you and I. He taught exclusively on purpose, knowing that it would offend us because real life is the offer, not just in heaven, but here, where we can live at peace with other people come to grips with our own story and enjoy them and God forever. Why am I saying all that? Why am I talking about tolerance? Why am I talking about Jesus and exclusivity? Because verse 19 and 20 convict us if we pay attention. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Because they heard the words of Jesus word for word. It was not... They were not used to it like you and I are. And so they were immediately confronted with the truth that you've heard before, that Jesus was either insane or lying or who he said he was. And you've probably heard pastors talk about that before, right? You've heard this. C.S. Lewis is one of many thinkers to put it out there. Jesus was either insane or he was lying or he was really who he said he was. Years ago, I got to... uh, have a drink after a debate with Christopher Hitchens. Very sincere man, a very brilliant man, and a very clear atheist. And he was, I was sitting with him and one of my professors from seminary and a couple of other Christians, and he goes, oh, I think that formulation by C.S. Lewis is absolutely terrific. And we were like, whoa. And he goes, like, Jesus was obviously insane. And then he said, and I don't find anything else that C.S. Lewis wrote interesting. And we're all like, oh, don't you know how much we love him? And he probably did, which is why he said it. But I loved that because so often we're used to coming to church and we enjoy the songs and the culture, but are we approaching Jesus as the good shepherd? 
We're trusting him in, for eternal life. We also have life today. Where we believe that he's the good shepherd. Where we actually follow his commands because they're light and life. Where we trust our anxiety begins to evaporate in that trust. Where we're able to relate to those, even those who have hurt us, with forgiveness. Learn the voice of the Father because there's danger in the world. He has purchased a flourishing and full life for us where we enjoy him this afternoon and eternally. Believing and believing in our bones that he's the good shepherd who saves us, draws us in and out of the pasture, protects us, loves us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I am so thankful for this church. Men and women who have professed easily and with joy for many years that you are who you said you are. And that you taught and modeled and lived the life we couldn't live and then died. And rose again as you predicted that we might have life here and life eternally. For the man or woman that you're pursuing this morning, Lord, would you draw them to your text, draw them to your good news, draw them to friends that they can talk with about their questions and doubts. For all of us, Lord, would you draw us into a deep belief that you're the good shepherd, that we can trust you. With our life, with our eternity, with our decisions, with our relationships, with our stuff, Trust you. Your name we pray. Amen.